Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. We are in the book of Acts again, chapter 7. We will in one moment stand and read verses 51 through 60, Acts chapter 7. The title of this morning's message is Satan's Blunder. He doesn't get it right ever. He does get some victories, but he's not guaranteed them. If you would, please stand. We will start at verse 51. <clears throat> you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Please be seated. That's Christianity in action, unleashed. That angelic face, though, did not save him from this stoning, but it sure blesses us. He was preaching to those who were fanatics. What made them fanatics was that they had become willfully blind to what God was doing. Their religion blocked God out. That can happen. We are, well, if you are surprised by that, then you are a novice when it comes to Christianity. But if you've been around the faith a while and you've been around your scripture, you know that this is not something that is uncommon or unheard of. And they had put themselves against God's Son, the Messiah, when they had no excuse. They pretended to be devoted to God and their scripture. But they weren't paying attention to what the scripture was saying. Question to we Christians, do we know of Christians? And we have to ask ourselves the same question. Do we know of Christians who claim to love God but pay no attention to the Bible, pay no attention to the New Testament. I have come across them. They think that somehow their passion makes up for disobedience or for ignorance, and it does not. Satan will use those things against us. Peter, in years later, writing to Christians, brings this up. He says, the chief cornerstone was Christ. They should have recognized him. There's no excuse. The cornerstone had a, you know, a, a look all by itself. It distinguished it from everything else. And then he said, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. And he just, he, he was, it's mind-boggling. How did, 
How could they have the scriptures, pour over the scriptures so much, and still not get it? So it is possible. And that should put all of us on alert. Did I say alert? That's some sort of thing that hides in the closet. It's an alert. <laughs> alert. Stephen wasn't having it. He just was, you know, the spirit surges up. It wasn't a spirit, I'm fed up with you people. It wasn't that. But he was fed up with the lies. And he gave him the truth. And it is startling and it is alarming how many professed Christians cave into the culture. We've always done it. But now, more than ever, it seems, especially our youth, Satan is trying to pick them off, to recruit them, to convert them. And they go to church and they think that, you know, they're being loving when they're putting up with the enemy's doctrines and teachings and the enemy is getting to spread their propaganda. But Christianity remains silenced in the face of this. If, they are, if you, listening online or maybe here in the church or later on, if you are faced with friends in a sexually perverted culture, are you roving with them without standing against sin? This is becoming more and more of a problem of trying to, uh, you know, make them feel comfortable while they are making you uncomfortable. And they're doing that by having you be silent concerning their sin. For example, I stand in the pulpit and I tell you right out that the Bible says homosexuality is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Lying is a sin. But today, if you say that, there are some that go to church. They don't want to hear that. They think it's unloving to tell the truth. Stephen was not unloving. He was just giving them God's word, what God was doing. And if you're holding back the truth from people who desperately need it, you're, you're being more cowardly and compromised and converted than anything else. And this leads to many people fussing at the pastors. Fraternizing with the enemy comes with consequence. You cannot get too chummy with those who are blatantly engrossed in sin and who trample the word of God. And at the same time say, well, I'm being loving. Do you turn on pastors who stand in the pulpit and tell you to your face that you are wrong if you do these things? They do. They turn on us very quickly. One of the prophets, well, I'll just read it, Second Chronicles 19. This was... This is about King Jehoshaphat. Again, Jehoshaphat, was a, he loved the Lord. He was a good king, a righteous king. But he had this thing where he had to be around bad boys. And it almost cost him his life. And finally, the prophet confronts him, First, Second Chronicles 19, and Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, that is a prophet, went out to meet him, that is the king, Jehoshaphat, and said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. This has not changed. And so part of the message this morning as we're considering this atomic sermon that Stephen is giving is that he wasn't making anybody feel comfortable in their rejection of Jesus Christ. 
And to attack him and make him the bad guy in this is to do the devil's work. And yet, it happens. Jesus, his estimate of sin was to cross, to die a cruel and shameful death. But he felt it was worth it. Hebrews 12, too, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so here is Stephen. He is sealing his loyalty to Christ with his blood. These lessons are preserved for all of us. And if you are upholding the faith, if you're not fraternizing with a perverted culture, you still have to stand guard that you do not become self-righteous, that we do not become uh, wrongfully judgmental. Uh, we have to be careful that we do love, but love does not mean we withhold God's word. So with that brief introduc- introduction, we look at verse 51. And there he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. <laughs> There's no way to make that sound nice. Maybe if you gave him a British accent, it would soften it a little bit. But, but this is what it is. It is not tactful. And how many would be offended? Well, it's how you said it. Never mind how I said it. What I said, is it true or not? Does the shoe fit or not? That is the bottom line. Because that will not be a defense when you stand before the throne of God. Well, it was how those Christians said it. Because the fact is, the guilty who want to remain guilty, no matter how you say it, won't receive it. There is a time to present the gospel in a very soft way, and there's a time to use it as a hammer. It is not by accident the word of God is referred to as a sword, but it is also light. It is also sweet as honey. And the Holy Spirit will lead us. Stephen used God's word that condemned the wilderness generation because of their unbelief. And he's using it on his accusers now. Remember, he never went onto defense. At no point is he defending himself. He went straight on the attack, said, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. You should believe it. This is why you're missing it. And this is why it's inexcusable. And he says that they are as much against God as as, as those who God condemned in the desert. And he's just getting warmed up. Prophet mode is activated in this man. Christianity makes a disturbance when it tells the truth about a world that is in sin. It rocks the boat of an antichrist culture in any age. And we should understand. That doesn't mean we're looking to be offensive when we go out. We're just not backing down. We, you know, the, the police, the police don't back down. Do you think they say, okay, you know what, let's just go away. No, they just call more of them, and they just keep coming. And we, we want them to be that way, if the good people do. Uh, well, what about we Christians? Are we going, okay, I'll just go away. I'll just change what I believe because you don't like it because you're going to put pressure on me. You younger Christians, learn how to stand up for what you believe. Say, no, that, this is what I believe. I know what you believe, and I, I don't believe that. I don't share that view. This is what I believe, and I will not be moved from it by you or anybody else. I find that to be a great motivator. Churchgoers can destroy their own influence 
simply by getting too cozy with the world. We don't want to tell the truth anymore. There's always something to fight for. There's always something to die for. But Satan has the same teaching for his side also. Consider the abortion activists, especially nowadays. Many of them, they're ready to die for their cause. Look, if they don't care about the innocent unborn, they certainly don't care about those who are living either. We're opposed to them. And so to match this, we have to know what uniform we wear and wear it proudly. Don't be ashamed of being a Christian. I have to just flip that around. Oh, oh, you're not one? Hmm. Maybe you should be one. Maybe you would be better off if you were one. But the invitation is there for you to receive Christ or for, to reject him because God will respect your opinion. Do you, not, do you want it any other way? Would you rather if God did not respect your opinion? Well, this, this uh, mob that he is facing is uh, stubborn indeed. And that's why he says they're stiff necks. So picture, picture a, uh, you, you've got a rope on your donkey and you're pulling him to go right. And he's pulling back the opposite way, he's stiffening his neck. And that is the picture that is, is being given to us here. But let's not confuse determination for stubbornness. Determination works to achieve the right course. Stubbornness works to continue on the wrong course. That's the big difference. When God says they're stiff-necked, he says, you know what is right because I've told you. And Stephen is doing the same thing. You have the word of God. And you still... Ignore what it is saying in favor of your traditions and religion. And so to say, you know, he is so unloving in this message. Read the sermon of Stephen. Read just this section we stood up and read just a moment ago from 51 to 60. How many people would accuse him of being unloving? And yet how much fruit came out of this sermon? Satan thinks he's got him. When they kill Stephen, he says, we've got him. And it was a blunder on his part. We'll come to that soon. And so, uh, you know, there's a nice section in Second Peter. For those of you who are churchgoers, but you really think the gospel is to throw paper tigers at people or just something that's, there's no consequence involved, just consider Peter in the second letter. He says, he says where do I begin? Verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels of sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient, the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. That's Noah. He continues bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. That, that we're in the afterward state. He's not finished yet, Peter does. He, he continues on. He says, And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Righteous Lot. If your Lot made so many blunders, if he could understand that there is a such thing as consequence to iniquity, then we are also. I don't know, maybe you, maybe my audience this morning, maybe you say, yeah, right on, I see it too. Or maybe you don't. 
maybe, maybe uh, you don't see that our teens are, uh, particularly our teens and our young adults, are trying to find something that is salvageable about the other side, the sexually perverted culture, this broke, woke generation. They have nothing to offer you but hell. And you've got to be able to identify that. Put your uniform in front of them. Wear it in front of them. As for me and my house, we don't believe this stuff. You say, but they might turn on me. Well, then you'll be in Stephen's company, will you not? Christ will stand to receive you as he stood to receive Stephen. He says to them, you always resist the Holy Spirit. May it not be us. Three ways in which the Holy Spirit can be opposed that are outstanding in our New Testament. Well, he can be resisted as is here. Sinners resist the Holy Spirit. They stiff arm him. Get back. Get away. Keep your spiritual distance from me. He can be grieved as we're told in Acts, uh, Ephesians 4.30. That one is for believers. Not so much for unbelievers. Grieve is a love word. You grieve over someone that you love, someone that stands in a special and close relationship to you. And the Holy Spirit has that relationship with believers, and he can be grieved. And I think he is grieved when we take the word of God and we hide it because we want to fit in, or we don't want to be offensive. Uh, the Christian message is offensive to sinners. Well, I was a sinner apart from Christ. I heard the Christian message. I was given a choice by Christ to submit to him or to resist him. Well, I submitted. So I don't buy that argument that, oh, it's too harsh of a message. It is an ultimatum. The Christian message is an ultimatum. Take it or leave it. But this is the gospel. This is the consequence of not receiving it. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. This, again, belongs to believers, especially an assembly, as we're told in 1 Thessalonians. A church can quench the Holy Spirit. I love the background noise. <laughs> this is the kind of sermon you preach during a thunderstorm. I didn't choose it. I didn't go on the weather. What's the weather going to be Sunday? I'll preach on this. Thank you, Lord. All right. So, now that we have your attention, coming back to this, a church can quench the Holy Spirit by allowing men to usurp the authority of the Holy Spirit. How does the church usurp his authority? By refusing to be led, by refusing to submit, by refusing to remember that he is God, the Holy Spirit, and he is not co-equal with us just because he chooses to be with us. Permitting false doctrine or moral evil to go unaddressed. This is how we quench the spirit. And, and a church can continue to uh, say it's a church when it has very little interest in what the Holy Spirit is doing, and it just seems to want to tell people uh, all the positive things about uh, what's going to happen to them. Well, that wouldn't have worked if you gave Stephen that kind of sermon the day before he stood before this crowd. Oh, it's going to be okay, Stephen. They're going to love what you have to say. Just preach nice things, okay? Well, he didn't preach nice things from hell's standpoint. Verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom 
You now have become the betrayers and murderers. Ooh, maybe he's just loose on them atomic. Well, if you think I'm being harsh, you wait to see what happens in hell. That's number one. And number two, fine. If you don't like my comments about this, read the section on your own. You tell me if you can downsize what he is saying. What part of when Stephen says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And then he says, you killed Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writing to new Christians. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did From the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. Paul wrote that. Paul is standing in this crowd listening to Stephen and guards the garments of those who are hurling stones at Stephen. And yet, and yet, he becomes a preacher of the things Stephen preached. What a blunder on hell's part thinking that they shut Christianity down by shutting down this atomic preacher. It backfired. God saw the religious habitually killing the righteous. He sees, he saw it, it happened all through his history. The Spanish Inquisition also was, there have been on many others. That's just one of religious people killing righteous people. The world has no idea how much it owes righteous people. It has no idea. There'd be no Red Cross if it weren't for Christians, just for an example. Salvation Army. I mean, when these institutions came up, they were, they were dynamos. Uh, eventually, the leaven gets in, and then it becomes another thing. But their fathers killed the ones who prophesied. Amen. That was Amen. <laughs> And they killed the Messiah. That's not a, I mean, how was the sermon today? Lightning, man. It was just like thunderous. It was, man. Verse 53. And if, you're, if you have not received Christ and you're here, I think you've got some incentive to reconsider. And uh, notice the punctuation to certain points. Anyway, verse 53, who have, uh, who have not received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Well, in other words, the Christianity is a spiritual feature that belongs to all of what we have, going all the way back to the days of Adam and Eve and to, to the end. And that's where the angels come in. God employed them. He doesn't give us details, but suffice it to say, it's, it's echoed throughout the New Testament and Old Testament alike. Stephen pulled their religious arrogance into the light. He is their messenger. Oh, Stephen, you're so negative, said the man. That was a, kind of a joke. I would appreciate a little lightning and thunder on my jokes, too. Just to balance it out, make me feel good about myself, because, you know. Anyway, we are not to make people feel comfortable in church so long as they are comfortable with sin. 
And I think a lot of Christians think that we're supposed to do that. The apostles did for a while with Christ. Lord, you're offending them. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm trying to do because that's what has to happen. If they're going to be saved, they've got to feel the sting of guilt before God. Or else they won't turn to him. You know, do you know anyone who does wrong and will not listen to any? You can't reach them. You say, you know, how come you don't have any friends? Well, because they're all nuts. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's you. I don't want to hear that. Well, then nothing changes. So uh, it could be that way with us. I I have to, you know, um, listen to myself because I don't want to listen to anybody else. But, uh, no, I mean, sometimes I've said this before. God speaks to me through people from time to time in the flock, usually not when they think they're if they're trying to tell you, know, Pastor, you should do this and that. And I don't get that too much anymore. Uh, but sometimes someone will say something and, and it will be God. And they don't even know that they did it. I do remember one. One person said, when you read the scripture verses, can you, can you slow down a little bit? I said, no, I'm from New York. I can't. <laughs> but he was right. He was right. And that's the only thing he was right on. I asked God, could I dislike him for that? And uh, anyway, back to this. What do you think the answer would be? So I'm a little bit all over the place here with this, but let's get back to verse 54 and see if we get some more punctuation on the points. When they heard these things, they were cut to heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Well, truth stripped them bare. That's what truth does. They could not hide. They had no argument. He had already beaten them in the synagogues. He had already refuted their arguments there. So they brought him to court to try to shut him up. And it's not working. Blindness. Uh, This is man-made religion. Man-led religion. Prohibits people from thinking. One thing about the cults is that they want to take away your ability to think. True Christianity says, bring the word with you. Think along with us. Reason together. Not looking to nitpick or trying to fight or try and pick a fight, but to, to think through what is being said from God's standpoint. But reason was trampled by religious rage on this day, and they gnashed at him with their teeth because he outed the lawbreakers. They were, too, they, were, they were hypocrites, and he's calling them that. He turned the tables on them with fact, and they could not counter the charges with reason. They were left with one of three choices. They could repent. They could admit it, say, that's right. The scriptures do support everything you're saying, and we're siding with you. That's conversion. They could continue as exposed hypocrites. They could say, yeah, well, we're not listening to you. We're going to keep living the way we are living. Or they can continue as exposed hypocrites and then kill him, intensify their resistance. These things, to this day, this is the case. You go into the workplace, you share the gospel with somebody, they can't refute it and they don't convert. Well, then you just sort of live and let live. Or you, you present the gospel, they can't refute it, they turn on you. And they look to do you harm in some way. They become an enemy. See the lights? I mean, that's, that's part of the punctuation that the Lord is giving me. All right, let's move. I won't make that comment again unless it's a really loud clap of thunder. Well, anyway, 
He was right. They hated him for it. Verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Full of faith. This is what we're told about this man, Stephen. Full of the Holy Spirit. And even here, in the midst of this interaction, and it is an interaction, uh, he's doing the speaking, they're doing the hating. He will do the dying, they will do the killing. We're told that Stephen was a man of wisdom, of grace, of power. He did signs and wonders and mercy. Where do we get the mercy? Well, why is they killing them? He's saying, Lord, please forgive them. I want to hurry up and get to that point because it's very meaningful to us. Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God here in verse 55. Well, he began this sermon in verse 2 by saying God appeared to, the, to the, their ancestors. Now he's ending his sermon with God appearing to him. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You can see God with... You don't have to use your eyes to see God. Faith can see God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is as they're turning on him. Well, he recognized the Lord. Probably, uh, he may have seen the Lord before the ascension. We're not told. doesn't matter. God is able to... Reveal, make himself known. Typically, or every other time, we see uh, Christ in heaven. When he says, this, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting. This is the only time, this is the one time Christ is standing in heaven. Shown to us, revealed to us. And it is to receive his martyr, his witness. It is to receive the man that preached this sermon and died for it. Verse 56, Stephen's still speaking. And look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It was at this word that Jesus is equal with God the Father that they ended their tolerance. That's what Stephen meant. To say that someone was standing at the right hand of God was, is to put him on the platform with God. And they understood it that way. Uh, the cults don't understand the scripture. They only understand the parts they can twist. Well, their uh, intolerance is ignited at this point. And though the scriptures sided with Stephen, they brushed that aside. Not only did Stephen look toward heaven, he looked into heaven. And I think that's a profound thought, that God can be seen from earth by faith, by his people. God can make himself visible to us without materializing in front of us. In this case, he is materialized uh, in the eyes of Stephen. Stephen sees him, uh, evidently others don't. Paul's conversion will involve some of that. Those with Paul, they won't share uh, what Paul got to see and hear as Paul did. Uh, Everyone gets to see Jesus on his throne at some point. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Daniel 12, 2, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Don't downside that word everlasting. Hell is not, there's no purgatory. Purgatory is not a teaching from the Bible. And if it's not a teaching from the Bible about the things of God, it is called heresy. 
2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that puts Christ on an equal platform with God the Father, because he is. That's how it has been ordained. There is no veil between Christ and Stephen. There's nothing blocking the sight of, of Christ. Stephen does not have to run down and get a, a, a lamb or a sheep to offer so that he can have this uh, uh, audience with God. It's the blood of Christ that is on him. And these things are for us too. Not in this necessarily in this exact format, but in a daily format. We can approach God. Uh, it does not have to be this dramatic. Verse 57, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Well, this enraged mob never answered any of Stephen's charges because they could not. When he made these, when he says, you're stiff-necked, which of the prophets have you not killed? They couldn't say, oh, yeah, I'll tell you one. Because they were lined up with those ancestors that were guilty of those things. Having Bibles, where did they go wrong? You would think they had the scripture. Where did they go wrong? The same place that Christians, that Christians can go wrong. Titus 1.16, they profess to God, but in works they deny him. Or as we read earlier from uh, Peter writing to the Christians, uh, saying to them that they didn't obey what they read. They cherry-picked. They kept the things they liked, and they dismissed the things they did not care for. That's how you can have the Bible, be religious, be zealous, be fanatical, and be wrong at the same time. Verse 58, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Well, death by stoning was how was the legal method of dealing with a blasphemer, which they were charging Stephen with. And, I, you know, again, why, did they have little boxes like in case of blasphemy, break glass, grab a rock and stone? I mean, there's always these rocks around. And it's a city. It's not like you're out in, you know, gravel roads. I, I, you know, I, I wish... I'll look at the video when I get to heaven to find out... That's a joke. There'll be no videos. It is the epitome of an irrational mind to suppose that men face such things for known fiction. It is the epitome of irrational to think that Stephen said, I saw Jesus rise from the dead, or risen from the dead. And he is the Messiah. And then die for it if it weren't true. This, this, this is something you cannot argue away with these apostles. Had Jesus not risen from the dead, none of them would have died claiming they saw him rise from the dead. They would have been insulted. People don't do that. People die for a lie if they think it's true. But if it's a known lie, it's very unlikely they're going to die for it. And, and this, this is just more testimony to the veracity of the scripture and the history that belongs to Christianity. And the witnesses lay down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Well, Paul evidently told Luke this. Luke is the one who has put together this book of Acts. 
He wrote years later, Paul did, almost 30 years later, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord Jesus, uh, of our Lord, was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So the things he was charging Stephen with was actually what he was guilty of doing, blaspheme. He is saying, I was the blasphemer. I stood there that day when Stephen was executed on the charge of blasphemy. But it was me. We should have been stoned. They had their garments taken off because they don't want to be hindered as they throw the stones, incidentally. Their robes were in the way. Stephen, he had refuted those who were even from Cilicia, the men of the synagogue of freedmen. It's itemized for us in Acts chapter 6. Paul was from Cilicia. He admits that in chapter 21. And so he he knew what was being preached. He he was uh, being picked apart with everybody else. Verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Well, there is such a thing as zeal without knowledge. And the, those who are killing him are doing just that. Paul would later write, I, have a, I bear them witness, that is his own people, the Jewish people, the unconverted ones, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. God's word is a hammer. And it can be. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. God says, Is not my word like fire? says Yahweh. And like a hammer that breaks the rock, the rock's in pieces. Well, that's what's going on here in this section of Scripture right now. Stephen is using that rock, um, that, that word of God, as a hammer against the rock. Jesus had said, they will put you out of the synagogues, yes. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. So you can have religion without knowing God. Again, Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah says, look, if you're going to boast about something, boast that you you know God. That you're understanding God. And the people in Jeremiah's day were devoutly religious. And they persecuted him. They sure tried to kill him. This is the third murder in relation to the Messiah. They permitted John the Baptist to be killed by Herod. That was a sin against the father because the father sent John. They had asked for Jesus to be killed. That was a sin against God the Son. And they killed Stephen. A sin against the Holy Spirit because we had read that he was full of the Spirit, doing signs and wonders in the Spirit. And this is something that um, is part of our preaching to this day, to tell people who reject the Scripture, to point these things out. Why did they kill John the Baptist? What crime did he commit? Uh, What crime did did, uh, Jesus commit? What crime did Stephen commit? Because everything he said was true. Just read Isaiah 53. 
Why, why did they not make the connection to Isaiah 53? He says, it says here that uh, here in verse 59, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So here we see Jesus praying directly to Christ. Paul prayed to Jesus also in 2 Corinthians 12, 8. This vision that he is getting here is granted, I believe, to those in the hour of death by persecution. He is still addressing their sin. He is saying, Lord, forgive them, meaning they are sinning. He is not walking any of it back to his death. When Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. He also said, asked at the same time, that his executioners would be forgiven. Well, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, said Jesus. But Stephen is saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That proclaims, again, the fact that Jesus is co-equal with the Father. He is saying that, that he's being received after death by Christ, the source of life, the victor over death. A lot of doctrine in this. Verse 60. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Again, this is the kind of grace that God gives when it is needed. Stephen, as with the Lord Jesus Christ, had a full life, but not a long one. He didn't get to have so many things that you know, the family and uh, the retirement package. Just, there were many things he, he did, just did not get to have. He was cut off in his youth. At least we presume he was a relatively young man. Jesus, of course, prayed the same thing. Uh, I, actually, they were incensed at Christ in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus said, go and your, your sins are forgiven. Sin no more and your sins are forgiven. And they said, who can forgive sins but God? And at that point, they were right. Only God can forgive sin. And so Jesus, of course, equal with God. Uh, truth may seem unloving when you don't like it, when it's cutting, when it's doing its work, when it's tearing out of someone lies that they cherish in their heart. Paul had to deal with this, and it must have broken his heart. He put so much work into these churches for them to turn on him. Uh, they would not have known Christ had it not been for him. And, and, you know, it's sort of like a child that gets too big for their britches. Galatians 4.16, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Welcome to public preaching. Uh, there will be people that say they love Christ, but you point out things from the scripture that they do wrong and they have no defense for it, they turn on you. Instead of saying, hmm, good point, pastor. Uh, many Christians do that. Many Christians do say, yep, amen, that's what the scripture says. But there are others that they're not so quick to submit. But in time, many times, they do come around. Uh, the Lord is long-suffering. And not only with the lost, but with the saved also. And so the word of God, the sword of truth, it hacks, it stabs, it slices, it's, it does the dirty work that needs to be done. And we have to learn this and understand it. Galatians 3.1, O oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? 
before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. See, that Gnosticism was creeping into everything. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Now, at that point, it was Judaism that was messing with them. Well, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews was written for those Christians who were trying to mix Judaism into Christianity. But there was also that Gnostic element creeping in, causing the doubt about a literal crucifixion, a literal Christ. All of this stuff was going on, and these apostles had to deal with this. He says, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you now departed from being submitted to the Holy Spirit and His leading, and you're now doing it on your own? That is his question. Is your flesh going to do this now? Are you going to do this in your own strength? Are you now uh, better off without being subject to the Holy Spirit? We don't have their answer. This, um, he continues here in verse 60, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Okay, here's the part I wanted to get to. Saul, who was standing there, just as guilty as everybody else, the only reason why he did not hurl stones on his own, we believe, because of the rabbinical writings, is that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and he was not to take part. The others could do it, and he was not. Well, that is really not too important. He certainly agreed with the execution of Stephen. But he's benefiting from this prayer, because he gets saved. God doesn't hold the sin against Paul. Saul, at this point, he changes his name to Paul later. God grants Stephen's prayer. What about the others? Well, we don't know, but we know about Saul. And here is the blunder of Satan. One champion is dead. A future champion stands in the shadows, oblivious to his own destiny in Christ. That does not mean that he is forced to become a Christian against his will. He has a big say-so in that. Saul watched the champion die, and he was never the same after that. We get that from Acts chapter 9, verse 5. We'll, we'll get that one, another session. Time's running out for us this morning. This was the beginning of Saul's conversion process, and he didn't know it. No one else knew it. No one on earth knew that Saul was being converted. What Satan did not know and did not see, was that this man would be approved by God. At this point, at, when, at the stoning of Stephen, Paul was approved by Satan. But he's going to be approved by God. So, any of you here have sins in your past? When you were under the influence of Satan? And now here you are in the body of Christ, taking communion with the saints? Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is the God we serve. This is the Savior we have who is abundant in mercy, abundant. It doesn't run out for those who will come receive it. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I think it is a very ignorant question to, or supposition to suppose that there, a man needs to go to seminary to know the Bible, to preach God's word. 
um, a man has to graduate from the approved of God school. That is where pastors are made, approved by God. Uh, I've said this before. I was just talking about this the other day with some or another brother in Christ. A pastor does not have to be, and usually is not, the smartest person in the church. In fact, the whole church could be smarter than him. That's not my problem. <laughs> Kidding. He has to be anointed to do what he does. That's all. He has to be anointed when he is in that pulpit and when he is ministering the word outside the pulpit. That's it. God takes it from there. This man, Paul, will write 28% of the New Testament. Satan doesn't see that coming. Satan never saw that coming. He thought he was shutting down Christianity and the super preacher named Stephen only to awaken another. Don't underestimate your preaching. Don't underestimate your life in Christ, your ability to share the gospel, how meaningful you are to Christ. It's so easy to prove how meaningful every Christian is to Christ. Just consider what Satan thinks about you. And you should automatically understand by default, God does not share his views. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Don't listen to him. Let the, the accusations be before the throne of God, where the mercy of God presides. That's why the chest had over it the mercy seat. The word of God, the rod of Aaron, and the manna had over it the mercy of God. Stephen leaves a testimony as a witness through all the ages. Without Paul, the New Testament was asleep within Judaism. Without the Apostle Paul, Christianity was snoring in Judaism, and God raised him up. And this is, the, this is where it began, right here. Stephen's sacrifice was not in vain. Had there been no man like Paul raised up by God, Christianity would have been absorbed there in Antioch when James sent men to spy out their liberty. And the next thing you know, Peter and Barnabas were carried away with them. Christianity would have been gone. But Paul rose up. How hard it must have been for him to stand up against his friends, Barnabas and Peter. How difficult must that have been to put his friendship on the line in the interest of truth? And he did it. Satan didn't see that coming. God did. And when he said this, he fell asleep. It's a euphemism for he died. They killed him. But his sermon survived. And the work of that sermon survived. If you were to say, if, if, if Stephen survived and you were to, to ask him about, why did you go off on these guys with this, you know, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised, which of the prophets have you not killed? He would have said to you, the Spirit of God surged up within me and demanded that I confront their guilt. And that's why I did it. They were unaccountable, they thought, for murdering Stephen. Persecution against Christians soared right after this. We're going to get to that next chapter. The admiration that the Jewish people had for the church that we found in Acts chapter 2 is now gone. The second blunder Satan makes in this story, I'm almost finished, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. We'll start in chapter 8 with the, the, the persecution of the church because of Stephen, and it ended up pushing the gospel throughout Israel. 
and then into Samaria, and then up to Antioch. It is Antioch where the Christians were first called Christians, where the Gentiles were really brought into the church, where the great work of Paul and Barnabas was, and from Antioch, Paul and Barnabas were sent into Asia Minor, and there more Gentiles were saved. Systematically, the message would reach the people of the earth. And it all started here. And I close with an Alan Redpath quote before I forget. As with Naboth, where was God when Stephen was being stoned, opening the gates of heaven to let him in? It was not a wasted death. The quote from Alan Redpath, The impact of my life upon the world depends entirely upon the impact of the Holy Spirit upon me. Let's pray. Our Father, to be able to know when to preach like this, to be able to know when to remain silent, all comes from depending on you, being led by you. Sometimes we just want to throw the word out there, cast the pearls before the swine, and then scratch our heads and wonder why it's so fruitless. But then in time we learn that if we just trust you, if we remain full of the Spirit, if the sword of the Word remains sharp within the scabbard, the time will come when you will allow us to preach your Son the truth about human beings being sinners and lost in their sin and in need of a Savior. And no matter what anybody else thinks. If you're here this morning watching or in the church and you've been listening to this and you've not opened your heart to Christ, then you're outside the mercy of God. If you present an argument that you think you still will find favor on Judgment Day, you have no basis for that. You have no right to do that because there is no proof or evidence, unlike Christianity, which has a plethora of evidence, proof, facts, prophecies, testimonies. If you want to be right with God, you've got to come through his son. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way, and there's no apology that goes to this, just an invitation. If you want to be right with God, then make this prayer in earnest. And God will receive you. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your laws. And I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. You are the one that not only died for my sin, the penalty that I would face, but also the one who has risen again, the Son of God. I give my life to you. And I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord from this day forward. Now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, may they not be ashamed of it. May they be quick to make their confession known. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.